you know, when I look at my life prior to coming to Pure Life, I was primarily motivated by sexual pleasure. Sure, I did the church thing, was even in a worship team. And there was times, most assuredly, I enjoyed it. But my underlying motivation, anytime, like, there was an opportunity for sin, I pursued it. Anyone who has been in sexual sin for a long time has had to keep their private lives covered with a lot of lies. They've lied to their family and their friends. They've lied to their churches, pretending that everything is okay with them spiritually. They also lie to themselves, saying that God understands and the rules don't apply to me. But the worst lie they've told is to Jesus. They say they love him and are following him, but then they refuse to follow his commands. Today we're going to talk about the false religion that tempts all of us and look at why we must allow God to show us the truth about ourselves and lead us into a life filled with truth. This is Purity for Life. If a person's cheating on their spouse or constantly watching pornography, whose will are they doing? God's or Satan's? What about the person who's always witnessing and serving at the church or in ministry? Are they doing God's will or Satan's will? Now, the answer to the question seems obvious if we're talking about two different people. But what if we're talking about the same person, always at church, witnessing, or in ministry, but also looking at pornography or cheating on their spouse? Now the answer becomes more complex. But if we will answer the question honestly, it's very clear. Even though they seem to be doing God's will, we know that they are yielding to the will of Satan. This clearly demonstrates the craftiness of Satan and the deceitfulness of the human heart because hundreds of thousands of professing Christians in America are living in sin, enslaved to Satan's will, all the while professing to be living in the freedom that comes from being right with God. What a tragic reality. And maybe this is your reality, but it doesn't have to be. That's what our first segment is all about. We're going to discuss how to escape the bondage to Satan's will. Luke, this topic of breaking the bondage of Satan's will is massively important because Scripture is really clear. In Matthew 7, 21, there's going to be many, many people who on that last day say, Lord, Mm -hmm. Lord, didn't I do all of these religious things? But Jesus makes it clear. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord. It's those who actually do the will of God. So we have to know what the will of God is, and we have to make sure that we're doing it. How can a person know for sure that they're doing the will of God? Well, for sure. I mean, knowing the will of God is difficult. 
but I think the reason it is so difficult for us is because God's will and our will are completely opposite. Mm-hmm. Isaiah even says that our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Mm-hmm. But understanding, first of all, that God's will and our will are direct opposition to each other is foundational for really understanding and knowing God's will. Why do you say that? Because now when we're reading the Word of God and something confronts the way I'm thinking, I'm not like shocked or surprised. I'm actually expecting that the Word of God is going to confront my natural thinking. Okay. So that's foundational. Okay. (laughs) We have to approach the Word of God that way. Okay, so because then we're approaching the Word of God not to justify ourselves or to prove that we're right, but we're looking to be corrected, to be... Transformed, even. Okay, okay. Are there things where you see your counselees looking somewhere else to know God's will that's really dangerous? Certainly, and, and I even see it in myself. If I want to compare my life with others... And then I could use the easy example, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Okay. Um, and then, But that's not accurate because the standard is God's word. And so I have to judge my life by the word of God, not by others. Yeah, I can, I can really relate to that because when we compare ourselves to other people versus comparing ourselves to God's word, it's easier to justify ourselves for sure. But... You know, when you're talking about knowing that you are doing God's will by comparing your life to the Word of God, I think yeah. everyone is going to be able to say, I am not perfectly living up to this standard. Even the godliest of saints is going to be able to say that. So if a person's in sexual sin and you confront their life with the Word of God to say, you're in bondage to Satan's will, you're in trouble, can't they just say, I mean, come on. Yeah, nobody's perfect. I, I get it. I need to grow. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. But there is a difference between someone who is actively struggling with sin and even resisting it, and then someone who is or whose life is dominated by sin. For example, Wilson, our campus dog, one of our campus dogs, he loves belly rubs. But you know, it's like as soon as you start petting him, he assumes the position and lays down and basically <laughs> right. forces you to start rubbing his belly. <laughs> yeah. Right. But there's another motivation in his life that actually supersedes the belly rubs. Okay. And that is this dominating, endless pursuit of conquering tennis balls. Yeah. I could be giving him a nice belly rub. He's relaxed, but you throw a tennis ball across the room and he's, and within seconds, up in hot pursuit. Yeah. You know, when I look at my life prior to coming to Pure Life, I was primarily motivated by sexual pleasure. Sure, I did the church thing, was even in a worship team. And there was times, most assuredly, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But my underlying motivation, anytime, like, there was an opportunity for sin, I pursued it. So it was like you did the church and the religious things because that was your upbringing or your culture, but you did the sex thing because that was your life. Yes, that's, yeah, the the sexual pleasure is what motivated me. Yeah. The truth is, when our underlying passion is for sin, 
that's what's going to dominate our life. Yeah. And the sexual sin that we see is just the fruit. It's like the tip of an iceberg. There's a lot more issues going on behind the religious facade that we like to put for mm-hmm. put forward. And oftentimes those issues for guys here, fear, anger, bitterness, and then you have the obvious selfishness and pride. Yeah. The person that you've been describing, and you described yourself, but then there's the fact that there are many others in our program who are that same way. They're in church all the time. They're very active religiously, but enslaved to sin. For a person like that, how can you tell that they are actually beginning to break free from the bondage of sin? Because they've already been really religious, so more activity doesn't really say anything about their life. So how do you know that someone's really coming out? Yeah, now that's a really good question, and it's oftentimes asked, and I sometimes even have to challenge myself and really, because when I'm dealing with a guy, okay, how do I know he's actually changed? So that's a very legitimate question. But if I go back to the understanding that if I'm living a life dominated by sexual sin— then I'm following Satan's will. Yeah. Okay, so that's what defines my life, is Satan's will. So breaking free from something that has dominated your thinking, for me it was like nearly two decades, that's not just some quick fix or a small change. Okay. That's a drastic change, and that's what's called. That's what repentance is called, a changing from one direction to the other direction, right? Mm -hmm. So if I see one of my students just going through the program, doing the homework right, entering into worship, and doing everything that was kind of the same when he got here and maybe even the same his whole life, I begin to question, was there actually ever a real change in this individual? Yeah. Because otherwise, like you're saying, it's, it's just more of the same facade. It's more of that fake religion. Yeah, and that's what makes the issue so difficult, maybe even for some people who are listening, sure, who are in that same situation, and their solution has been get more involved in church. That was mine. Yeah. <laughs> Witness more, read the Bible more, sure. pray more, do more, 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 more to yeah. convince yourself that sure. I'm changing. So if that's not the solution, then what are we talking about? What things really show, okay, I'm being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Certainly, and that's what really you're looking for because, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, even in those times where we're doing a lot of that religious activity, it's like we're pushing down what we really want to do. There's no, there hasn't, we know, there hasn't really been that breaking right. and that change, that repentance that we're looking for. And so, you know, when, when Paul describes repentance, he says it's like, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Yeah. Or in 2 Corinthians where he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is a complete overhaul of the driver's seat of your life, the command of your life. And that change is a mess. There's a process that kind of takes place in there. I mean, especially if you've been at this for a while. 
it's called brokenness, really. Uh-huh. You're trying to figure out, okay, then what is the Lord's will? I've been doing my will this whole time, and, and now I'm trying to figure out the Lord's will. And, and then also you're, you're seeing how much of your will was the root of this issue, and now you're seeing, wow, it's my rebellion that put Jesus on the cross. It's like, it's, so there's godly sorrow that's involved with that. There's a huge coming down of understanding that, wow, my best efforts got me here. So I need to stop thinking that I know everything. You know, that's part of that all, that coming down. At the end of it, though, the man is different than he was before. And that's like, really, if if you ask somebody, why are you coming to Pure Life? Well, yeah, I want to be different. I want to change. Well, that's what that's what happens. Yeah, it's like, and I experienced this in my own life. You expect that the change that God's going to bring is from this level sure. to this level. I'm just going to ascend. Instead, yeah. it's you're going from here into the basement. And yeah. that is not fun. No, it's a mess. It's difficult. It's challenging. And, you know, overall, I think it's humbling. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I, <laughs> I still to this day have to keep wrestling with is I like to, you know, I come up with these great ideas and I have my opinions and my thinking and, and the Lord's like, okay, you think you've got this, you know, and then right. it just brings circumstances into my life where I need to humble myself again. Yeah. Say, All right, Lord, I got into my will again, yeah. not yours. What other things are you looking for besides contrition, brokenness, godly sorrow that shows that a person has really, their will is changing? Well, in reality, what you're looking for, what well, really, in reality, what are you looking for? A man who's doing God's will. You know, Paul talks about a changed life in Ephesians 4, and he describes it in the context of putting off and putting on. Mm-hmm. And... Basically, he's asking the same question. Well, how do I know if someone's actually changed? And he uses the example of a liar. Okay. And he says, okay, if, you know, and we all have or come across people or friends that are exaggerating lying all the time. And, and okay, so maybe they come up to you and they say, you know, Nate, I've really changed. I'm not a liar anymore. I put that behind me. It's like, okay, well, I, I'm going to, how do I want, how do we really know this person's changed? Well, immediately they have to stop lying. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then there's the putting on aspect of it. And Paul says they start speaking the truth. Yeah. That's how you really know that a liar has changed. So there's a putting off and then there's a putting on. And I find that that's very true with men in our program is they could stop the sexual sin. Uh-huh. And even stress really hard of not doing anything wrong, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, well, but I want to see the putting on aspect of this thing to really know that there's been a change in this guy's life. And the putting on aspect is love. Hmm. If we could sum it up, it's really love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. It didn't say because you're not viewing porn and you're not giving over or whatever other sin you have. No, he said, this is how you know, by your love for one another. Hmm. So if I don't see love or mercy flowing from an individual after like their repentance process, then it's one of two things. It's either they have a little more work to do and they're still coming through the brokenness and trying to figure out who's in charge, or they really haven't actually repented Hmm. and they're just trying to white-knuckle their way through the program without any real lasting change. Yeah. 
let's let's circle back all the way to the beginning because you said that our will and God's will are in opposition. Sure. When we are completely unregenerate, you know, our flesh, our flesh's will and mm-hmm. God's will completely in opposition. That That's yes. never going to change. <laughs> um, so when a person really has repented, they are breaking free, mm-hmm. and there's that war inside. How do you encourage them to mm-hmm. keep with it and don't give up? Sure, yes, because that could be very discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when uh, your, your body, you're so used to it, you've got years and years of habits built up of sin, and then you know, you're trying to repent of this, and you see it as wrong, you're seeing it in a whole new light, and you're just not seeing a lot of change, let's mm-hmm. say, in the inward parts. And it's just like, oh, will this ever change? And okay, so that that is could be discouraging, and that is a challenge. But you have to understand that God never fails. Mm. And if you keep pursuing this, you're going to find that freedom. But God did the same thing with the Israelites when he brought them through the wilderness. He said, I'm bringing you in here to test you and see what was really in your heart. Are you going to pursue me now? Because, I mean, let's be honest, we've given these short efforts and small attempts in the past mm-hmm. with no real change in our life. And God's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm willing, more than willing, to change your heart and change your life, but do you really want it? Mm. You know, what is your motivation? Are you really seeking to know me? Mm. So if you stay in that flow, crying out to the Lord, I mean, he says he's a good father who gives good gifts. Yeah. You know, and if you're asking for that... He's not going to let you down. You've definitely given us a lot to think about, and mm-hmm. I think we could both just exhort anyone who's listening to never be satisfied with anything less than knowing I am a new person. Mm-hmm. You know, like Paul told Timothy, take hold of eternal life. And if we have that, that determination inside of us, and we measure our life to the Word of God, and we will not let Him go mm-hmm. until we know yeah. that He's ruling and reigning inside of us, then that day is going to come when we, when we see it and when we know it. Yeah. So thanks very much for coming in. Hey, no problem. Thanks, Nate. If anyone is overcome with any kind of sin, especially a long-standing sin, Scripture gives them a solemn command examine yourself. But for professing Christians in America, many times people are content to just look at the outward performance. They look at all of the Christian activities they're a part of. And it's very difficult for many people to accept that outward actions are not an accurate reflection of our right standing with God. It's really easy to speak and to act like those around us, and it's really normal for people to want to please others and fit in. But this doesn't mean that they've had a real encounter with the living God and that he has come to indwell them with his Holy Spirit. In other words, there's religion and there's reality. This is one of the resounding messages that comes forth from the pulpit at Pure Life Ministries. In our next segment, Pastor Steve Gallagher exhorts the men in our residential program to seek a real Christian life, the reality of God in their lives.
Jordan got up and shared about those two buildings, one built on sand and one built on a rock. And um, the way it was just kind of coming to me in my mind is the different uh, elements of Christianity, meaning the church, worship, the word of God, prayer, those kinds of things. And how you can have all those uh, elements in place and you can have one guy whose life is built on the rock and he has one experience with those things and then you have someone whose life is built on the sand and he's there, they might be sitting right next to each other in church having completely different experiences. So let me just take a look at them real quick. First of all, the church. What is the church there for? The building that you go to every Sunday. Why is it there? You know, it's a it's kind of a replica of the temple situation in Jerusalem way back in the day. And um, the temple was there because it was a place where the presence of God dwelt. Okay, now we know that a building doesn't have the presence of God in that sense, but believers do, and so believers come together. And um, when you go to a church, you should be going there not to just perform your religious duty for the week, to put in your time, you know, your get out of jail free card, get out of hell free, whatever it is. You know, you just make your appearance. You can't wait to get out of there and get home. Uh, if that's your attitude, either something is terribly wrong in your life, well, that's for sure anyway, but maybe something's terribly wrong in the church you're at. Um, because the presence of God should be there. And if it's not, you're at the wrong place. And when you go home, you know, uh, many of you are going to leave this place walking with the Lord. And you're going to get home and you're going to find that church isn't like you remember it. You know, back when you were backslidden, it all looked really spiritual. But when you come home walking with God, that church better be on fire or you're going to be really disappointed. And I believe me, I've heard many, 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 many stories of that down through the years. Or staff members who just go home for, you know, vacation and go to their old church and they come back. Wow, man, just was in shock. Make sure you're in a godly church. The Word of God. When you open the Bible, if you approach it with the typical academic, mental, head knowledge mindset that's out there so commonly now, you're not going to walk away with anything. The Word of God is there for a purpose. It's for you to meet with the Lord. Not to just fill your head with more information. You don't need more information. You need an encounter with God. 
And so your approach to the word, this is on you. Now we're not, can't blame the pastor. Now we're talking about you and the Bible. First of all, you gotta have it. And you gotta spend time in it. But you approach it, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, Lord. Speak for your servant listens. Prayer. Don't just go in with your laundry list of all the things that you want so your life can be better. Oh yeah, and save, you know, my brother and sister and my wife or whoever, you know, that kind of stuff. No, you go to talk to the Lord, to really communicate with someone. He's a person, he's there. You know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna be in a transition, hopefully, while you're here. Transitioning from religion into relationship with a person. That person is Jesus Christ, the most awesome person who has ever lived on this earth by far. And just one more quick thing. I was thinking about, there's the broad way, living for this world, claiming to represent Jesus Christ. That's the broad way. I would like to think that at Pure Life Ministries, we're pretty much on the narrow way. It certainly is our heart to be that. But there's one, only one ever did it. And that was a razor thin line perfection. Only Jesus did it. Only Jesus. No one else ever has. Only Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about narrow. We're talking <laughs> just perfect. Perfection this whole life. What a Savior. Lord, I just love you this morning. I praise your name. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of our praise and our worship. We want to be in relationship with you, Lord. It's not about religion. It's not about going to church. It's about meeting with, with the, the King, the only one who's worthy. And we worship you and praise your name this morning, Lord. And I just pray that as Nate comes up, Lord, that you will just anoint your word and, and um, Holy Spirit, just um, magnify Jesus Christ this morning. Magnify him, Lord, not just that we learn some more stuff, but there would be something that would be imparted into our souls and into our spirits that we could walk away from here feeling like we have met with the Lord. It's you that can do that, Lord. We're asking you, regardless of whatever the sermon is, Lord, we're asking you to please, Holy Spirit, please magnify Jesus in our hearts in such a way that when we leave, we, it stays with us, a sight of the lowly King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In our final segment today, Mike Johnston and Brad Fergus discuss the need to live in the light. 
This is a biblical phrase that is commonly referenced at Pure Life as we're counseling men coming out of sexual addiction. Their lives have been lived in darkness, hiding their sins from God and from others. But this hidden web of sin they've constructed has blinded them to the massive inconsistency that exists between the inward and outward reality of their lives. For many men, the first step toward freedom is found as they begin to live their lives honestly before God and before other people. Brad Burgess has joined us in the studio. Brad, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always good to see you. I appreciate you taking the time. One of the issues that we deal with, Brad, as we're dealing with men and women that are struggling with a sexual sin is just the need to live in the light, to come into the light about what their lives are really like, what their relationship with God is really like. Right. Uh, one of the things we try to help them with is this whole notion of the inward and outward. I mean, we all have an outward presentation mm-hmm. <laughs> that we present to the world, and typically it's the best presentation we can give sure. that will present us in a favorable light. But we have something that's more precious, and Jesus is more concerned about it, and we have an inside world, mm. a heart, mind, a will, emotions, the inner you, the inner me, and we do our best to try to help those that we counsel to allow God to deal with the inside world. A person who is in darkness, who's in sin, are constantly hiding, but they're not hiding from God. Scripture, I love the quote, it's uh, 1 Samuel sixteen seven. It says, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. And that's what we should be concerned about. And when Jesus dealt with people, he always was dealing with people's hearts. He could look right into a person and see where they were spiritually. And so that should concern us. The inside world is what Jesus is more concerned about. He Mm -hmm. desires truth in the inward part. And this seems so critical, too, particularly in the the modern-day church where so much emphasis is put on the outward man. The church as a whole just needs to go so much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Right. The church is that way, I believe, because the worldliness that's in the church. I mean, the world yeah, is all about true. promoting self and, and, and who's who, being the top notch, being mm-hmm. recognized and being able to get as much attention mm-hmm. as possible. And that's just something that has been has not been crucified in the church. Yeah. And the image issue, as you already said, right. that so much of our culture now is about the outward image. Right. How you look and mm-hmm. people. And it's so serious that sometimes we've encountered leaders or pastors not wanting to deal severely with someone in their church who's in sin, sexual mm-hmm. sin or something else, because that person is so anointed, so good with people, or he makes the church look good in some kind of way, which mm-hmm. is which can be, you know, very sad because that person is in a terrible spiritual condition. Well, let's look at some of the things that we say and the disparity between what we say and what we actually do and what the reality of that situation may be. Well, one of the verses we use to really help men that we minister to uh, understand what it means to walk in the light and what it means to walk in darkness. First John 1, 6 through 10, and it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, I'm a Christian, I'm sold out, I love God, hmm. I'm in love with Jesus, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Hmm and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, 
we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In this other thought that we were talking on earlier, when the inward and the outward don't line up, what we say, is that what we do? Is that who we are? Or are we saying words that really don't have any substance? We're repeating things. We're saying things. Oh, I love Jesus. I love him with all my heart. But we live in the darkness then we're a liar mm-hmm. and the truth is not in us. And that is the reality. Right. That That's the biblical reality that we have to deal with with these people that come to us for help. Right. A uh, good example that I can use, personal example from my life, is uh, when I applied to Pure Life Ministries back in 98, um, I wrote out my testimony and I wrote a slew of things that I had given over to, drugs, sex, the way I treated people, the list went on and on. But at the very end, I tacked on, but I love God, you know, and I guess that's just a Christian thing to say. If you grew up in the church or you ever thought you had some sort of relationship that you can live any kind of way and then tack on, but I love God, but it wasn't true. Mm -hmm. I think in my heart, there was a smoking flax and the Lord saw that. But the reality of my life was that I was not walking in the light, walking Mm -hmm. in truth. I was not in a love relationship. I wasn't in fellowship with God. And that kind of leads us into uh, really in the form of a question, how important is it that the individual really comes clean, allows themselves to be exposed about what's in their heart, in this case, about the sexual sin that's in their life? Well, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. Mm. We all want to prosper, don't we? <laughs> but the Bible says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes will find mercy and mm. compassion. It's so important that someone comes into the light about their sin. They come to a place to realize they're worse <laughs> than they initially thought. They're, mm-hmm. they're actually worse than what people know already. Right. And uh, it's a wonderful thing because I try to help men to see Jesus already knows. He already knows how depraved we are. Mm-hmm. He already knows what we could potentially do if his hand of mercy didn't put boundaries in our lives. Mm-hmm. He knows and he accepts us that way. But what he's wanting is a confession, yeah. or at least the beginnings of a confession. An acknowledgement of <laughs> I mean, who, like, that we know yeah. who we are. Yeah, like, <laughs> Lord, I see it. I, yeah. I am a wretch. I mean, I think it would give the Lord tremendous pleasure for a man or woman who's dealing with sexual sin or any sin to have an experience like David, mm-hmm. to see it. Lord, yeah. I'm the man. I'm the woman, whatever. Yeah. I've sinned. You know what? I know I've done a lot of horrible things to other people, but ultimately I've sinned against you and done what is evil in your sight. Now, God, of course, is not only asking that we acknowledge sin to him, but if that individual wants to grow in their relationship with God and really overcome their sin, he is asking them to bring that sin into the light to others. If you don't want to get rid of the problem, confess it only to God. If you want to get rid of the problem, confess it to another person. And if you really want to get rid of the problem, Keep yourself accountable. Mm. And you want to keep yourself accountable with someone who is walking with the Lord, who does have victory in in their life, who can impart something spiritually to you and can really help you and lead you and model holiness in in, in a pure life. That's true biblical accountability. It's putting yourself in a position underneath of someone more spiritual than yourself that can lead you. Brad Purgis, thanks so much for uh, talking with us about the need to live in the light. All right. Thanks for having me, Mike. So, does the reality of your outward life and the reality of your inner world coincide? Is the will of God or the will of the devil the ruling force in your life? Jesus' words to the Pharisees, the hypocrites of his day, were hard. 
You appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. But Jesus also says in that same chapter, how often I have longed to gather your children together. Jesus does long for us to come to him, but we must not be like the Pharisees who, according to Jesus, were unwilling to be gathered. It can definitely be hard to come into the light to confess and acknowledge our sins, but there is comfort and freedom for every burdened soul who will come to him in truth. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.